Welcome to the Start Your Engines edition of the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, and every Thursday I like to target my podcasts at men and women. So, and especially we like to talk about topics that men care about. And I bring my husband Keith on to our podcast. Thank yep, you. I'm here again. And today we are talking about lust. Absolutely. Because men care about that. Or men do it, or something like that. But no, <laughs> we're actually, hopefully, going to give a very freeing message about lust today. I think so. Yeah, that's certainly our goal. Because I think that the way that the evangelical church has talked about lust in the past has been really hurtful to both men and women. Mm-hmm. And there's a much better way of looking at it. Now, how did you get involved in this whole lust debate thing, Sheila? Um, <laughs> thank you for asking me that. That is such a great question, Keith. But a couple of years ago on the blog, I spent a week talking about how this whole idea that lust is every man's battle is a very hurtful message to both men and women and how we simply need to talk about it differently. And I got a lot of pushback from a lot of guys saying, but you're making men feel guilty about lusting. And it's like, no, I'm trying to give us some freedom and trying to look at this biblically. Uh, and, and that conversation never quite got resolved. And so I was very happy that you wrote a post because sometimes I think we need to hear from men too. Mm-hmm. So you wrote a post for us this week about it. Yeah. And I think the big issue here is I don't think we understand what lust is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, we have this mentality like sort of guys, I think guys tend to think there's this like lust spectrum, okay. right? Where it's like, I don't even notice she exists to like, I know she's in the room to I think she's attractive all the way up to like I'm actively fantasizing about taking off her clothes right now and that's sort exactly. of thing. We see lust as this spectrum and we're always obsessing over, you know, at what point does it become lust? <laughs> this sort of thing, right? And, and the issue is this, is in the church we have some, some things that I think are rather unhealthy ways of looking at things and, and the whole concept of, you know, all sin is sin. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So, once you've broken one, you've broken the whole law, which is a biblical concept. Yeah, but, and we're all sinners, mm-hmm. so don't think you're a better or worse sinner than somebody else because you don't sin as bad. And I think those are valid points in context. Mm-hmm. But in, in this particular issue, what comes out is peop, is a man thinks if I notice a woman is physically attractive, I am as bad as a serial rapist. Right. And that's just horrible, and that's not what we should be thinking, mm-hmm. because you know, men are going to be sexually attracted to sexually attractive women. Yeah, that's sort of the definition. That's why they're called sexually attractive. So there's a difference to me in my mind between attraction Mm -hmm. and lust. Mm -hmm. For me, attraction is a biologic thing. Okay. Right? And I think that's what most men, when they say, I struggle with lust. Right. They mean that when I see an attractive woman, my eyes are drawn to her. Mm -hmm. And they feel that that's somehow that they're impure. Because this concept of the purity spectrum, you know, in our, in our Christian mentality, you know, the best would be if I didn't even notice her. Right. And until I don't even notice when a woman walks in the room, I still am struggling with lust. Right. And I think that's what a lot of guys are feeling. And I just think that's garbage. Yeah, because we're putting a lot of guilt onto something which is not a sin issue. Because you don't control the things that biologically happen inside your body. And the, th- the analogy I use in my, in my article is, is anger. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone says something insulting or hurtful about you, I get angry. Like, I don't have a control over that. Now, I have right. control with what I do with that anger. Yes. And how I choose to express that can be sinful or not or, you know, that sort of thing. And I think lust is the same thing. Where we go with our mind, our conscious mind mm-hmm. after that is the important thing. 
and I've written before about this, I, I, and I'll link to some of that in the podcast description for this podcast. So there's always a post that goes along with the podcast where I put lots of different links so you can go on bits of rabbit trails. But, but what I was saying is that noticing is not lusting. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus was talking about whoever looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he was talking about deliberate looking. He wasn't talking about seeing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you could see a woman and you can have that biological reaction or whatever it might be or notice that she's pretty or notice that she's attractive. And then you can do absolutely nothing else with that information. Mm-hmm. And and this is what people don't quite get is that that bit is not a sin. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, guys are struggling with this feeling that there's something wrong with them, and mm-hmm. they're just normal guys. And so, but then the, the converse happens too. Is so once we accept that there's a certain level of biological, it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. Then what happens is because it's conflated, we now have there's a certain amount of lust that's going to be normal for a guy because we've got this spectrum. Right. And so then you know different people have different points on that spectrum where they think it's okay. And so it almost becomes if you don't struggle with lust, you're, there's something wrong with you. You're not really a guy. And that's actually in every man's battle. That's what they talk about is that maleness. It's part of maleness to lust. Can I just go off on a tangent for a minute here and then we will get back to this male the, the, the whole idea of how to deal with lust. But one of the issues that bothered me about that is that they were equating noticing that someone is sexually attractive and being attracted to them as a male thing as if women don't do it. And I think that's a very harmful conversation as well because mm-hmm. women do. Like brain scans have shown that women are visual as well. They may not be as visual as men, but they are visual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a woman can look at a Ryan Gosling or a Ryan Reynolds or you know any of these and think, yeah, he's really attractive. And again, do absolutely nothing with that information. Like it's like women are visual too. Um, I read... And you're a good doctor, so maybe you can explain this better, but uh, something that I think it's important to understand with regards to libido and with regards to being visual is that the difference within groups is greater than the difference between groups. Mm -hmm. So can you explain what that means? Okay, so, you know, in any population, there's always variability. Mm -hmm. You know, human beings are generally a certain height. Right. Some are shorter than others. Some are taller than others. Right. You know, men are taller than women. Yes. What that means is the average man is taller than the average woman. And I think that I think it's like eight inches. Or yeah, I think it's five. Is it five? I don't no, know. I think it's eight. I read a book recently that said it was eight. Okay. Yes. Well, I look after kids; they're still growing, so I don't know. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> the point is that there's there's variability in each, though. Mm-hmm. So when we say things like men are taller than women, we don't mean all men are taller than all women, mm-hmm. and we understand that because we know that the difference between the shortest woman and the tallest woman. Mm-hmm is bigger than the difference between the average woman and the average man. Yeah, well, actually, we don't know that. But that's what I want people to know by listening to this podcast. See, you have now learned something, people. Okay, so yeah, here's, and, here's the And the numbers. problem is that in, in the same thing happens with libido. Or do you want, do you want to tell people? I, I want to actually give the numbers. You're going to use think, the height thing? Yeah, because okay, go ahead. Uh, I read this. It was actually a book about sex that I was reading. It was actually a book about women's orgasm. Come as you are. Great book. I'm trying to learn more to teach more. But anyway, um, but, but it was using the libido analysis, uh, analogy with regards to height. So it was saying just as, as we understand this about height, we can apply it to libido as well. But... If the, if the difference, the average difference in height between a man and a woman is 8 inches, but the average difference within women is 10. Mm-hmm. So um, in, a, in, a, in a bell in curve... In a group of normal women... Normal women, two standard the, the shortest woman will be 10 inches shorter than, than the, the tallest, tallest woman. Right. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's even outliers to that, but in, in a group of normal women. In a group of normal men, the average is 12. 
And normal is defined, we mean statistically. Right. And so, so between groups, it's eight, but within groups, it's 10 and 12. So the difference within the groups is greater than the difference between the groups. And the, here's why that's important to learn. It's not just because it's super cool scientifically and we wanted to sound smart by giving you numbers. It's because even when we're talking about men being visual, we talk so much in, as if these are absolutes, gender absolutes, and they simply are not. Mm -hmm. um, because it isn't that all men are visual and no women are visual. It's that men as a whole are more visual than women, but some women are more visual than some men. Yes. And that, that's, that's important to note. And that's, that's something that's missing from the conversation. And it really does mess with women's sex drives. Okay, so that was a big aside. Oh, here's why it messes with women's sex drives, just so that you all know that. It's because when women grow up hearing that you have no libido and that you are not sexually attracted to a man's body, you only like his mind or his intellect or something, then you're going to start growing up thinking that you're not physical mm -hmm. and that you and that you, sex really isn't for you in that way. And that really does impact women's libido. And our study, our survey that we did showed that as well. So that was just an aside as to another criticism I have of this all men lust idea. But let's get back to what you were talking about, Keith, which is that this is a very damaging message for men. Well, I, I was going to say, actually, what I was about to say was I think it's a damaging message for women that we don't understand as men. Because, you know, this whole concept of then, therefore, if I'm male, I will lust. Mm -hmm. It's like God has made me this way and this is the cross I will have to bear my entire life and I will always struggle with lust. Mm -hmm. When women hear that, that's very damaging to women. And we don't understand that as men. And, and I think it's because we've conflated our normal biology as, as men with the actual sin of lust. Mm -hmm. Because this is the problem. I think that in the church, we have defined lust as an attack on a man's purity rather than an attack on a woman's dignity. And Wait, I, wait, wait. That is so good. You got to say it again. Okay, so we, we think of lust as a sin because it's an attack on a man's purity. You know, I have had impure thoughts and I am now therefore damaged before God mm -hmm. because I've thought... I've, I've looked at this pro woman or I've done this or I've done that or I've thought this thought. Mm -hmm. We think of it as a purity issue for men. But I think it would be much more helpful to think of it as an attack on the dignity of a woman. And mm -hmm. that's what I talk about my, in, in the article is instead of saying, don't look at that, say, you know, is the way I'm looking at this woman respectful to her? I mean, right. this, is, this is a person who is created in the image of God who, for whom Christ died. Mm -hmm. am I, how am I looking at her? Because if I am undressing her in my mind mm -hmm. and thinking impure thoughts about her, then I will realize that I shouldn't be doing that. But if it's just I'm noticing she's attractive because she's attractive, mm -hmm. then there's no guilt for me because I know I'm not going anywhere with that in my mind. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and I think that's actually a really important message because interestingly, I, I read Every Man's Battle for the first time last week and I live tweeted it. Uh, it, was, it was pretty scary. I knew there were some problems with the book. I hadn't realized how profound those problems were. Uh, and if you want to read about that, I will put a link to my live tweets <laughs> on that book and on the corresponding book, Every Heart Restored for, for women whose husbands have been involved in sexual sin. Um, but one of the things that really surprised me in both of those books was that they would, they would explain how every man is hardwired to lust and how this is a big male issue. And they would explain about all the guys who... Um, 
who really do struggle with masturbation and when they see a woman's breasts they do that and even on page i think page like the the very the, the second page of the introduction in every man's battle they gave what was really a pornographic description of a woman jogging about her undulating breasts and her and it was completely inappropriate i i felt completely it objectified her completely and the point they were trying to make is that this is the sin that men do but even in the way they were describing her, it was it was terribly objectifying, and um, I don't. And, and then women read this stuff, and the feedback they were getting from women that they even put in the book was that I can't trust any man. If you died, I would never marry again. Because mm-hmm. if if men are honestly like that, I wouldn't let my daughters out in public. Mm-hmm. And then the response from the authors, and it's not just them, because this is a common theme in many evangelical books that all men lust, this is part of being male. Um, we have to overcome this by bouncing our eyes and not looking at women. And the response from these authors was, well, ladies, I know you don't like it, but you need to understand this is how men are. And they weren't listening to the women who were saying, if that's how men are, I want nothing to do with you because that is extremely terrible to me. Mm-hmm. And even reading the book, it only ever talked about women in terms of their body parts it never talked about them as whole people mm-hmm. and that's what i think we need to get back to because the whole concept seems to be that there's no and this is what the whole this is what i start the article with there's that there's a belief that there's no way for a man to look at a woman other than sexually yes and and that that's a concept that's out there in society i mean our society objectifies women treats them as objects for men's sexual pleasure and that's that's out there in society and i think it's right that the church takes a stand against that but the problem is that we take the stand purely in terms of that will make you impure before god so don't do this thing that everyone else is doing as opposed to this is this is not the way that you should be interacting with women man because mm-hmm. god ex- god wants us to value and and esteem them because they're you know women are i mean men and women are equal we both have value before God and we don't want to devalue another human being Mm -hmm. because men and women are both made in the image of God and I think one of the effects of sin coming into the world is that it mars what God made to be beautiful Mm -hmm. and we see that in marriage relationships we see that in our society in general all, all kinds of places that it mars the relationships that god wanted us to have and it takes away this idea of treating each other as image bearers of god mm-hmm. and so when you lust against a woman what you're really saying is i am rejecting you as an image bearer and i am reducing you to only your body and that's that's actually the root of the sin we think the sin is just simply that oh, you know, I lusted and I had sexual thoughts and so that is something that I did and that's between me and God. But no, you are actually stealing something from her. You are stealing her identity as an image bearer when you reduce her to merely body parts. And that is what the book consistently does. Mm -hmm. And it's what this idea consistently does. Um, You used an example in the article of Paige Patterson. Do you want to tell people about that? Oh yeah, it's it's uh, it's the link to the videos on there. But he basically was and and, and for for context, Paige Patterson used to be um, the president of the Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary. I think I got that right. And he's been very very high up in Southern Baptist circles for many years until he was forced to, or he was fired actually, um, a little while ago because of complaints um, that he mishandled 
sexual assault allegations at that seminary, among other things. Um, but one of the other things that he was consistently criticized for was, was this story that you're going to share now. Just so, go ahead and share it. Just go, just go. I forget what the question was now. <laughs> I just want to give context that everybody knows. So in my in in the blog post, I talk about I link to this video because it's a, it's very creepy. Okay, so this is a I don't know how old he was when he was record when this was recorded, but he's over sixty. Yeah, probably. And, and yeah. He, he tells a story, and it's meant to be a humorous little anecdote about how these two teenage boys were gawking at a, at a girl. Um, and but he says the word he uses she couldn't have been more than sixteen years old, which to me implies that she was you know maybe even younger than that. Mm-hmm. And and then he, he he the point of the story is the 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 mother of one of the boys reprimands them and he chastises her saying they're just being biblical, and because they're admiring God's creation kind of thing. And it's trying right. it's meant to be a humorous sort of thing. But the thing the creepy part is where he sort of says you know, in defense of the boys, that she was nice. Like, yeah. and it's just like... And the way he said it is like so super creepy. Well, doesn't, there's no way he could say that. That would not be creepy because right. he's a 60-some-year-old guy and this is a girl who's under the age of 16. Right. Or at 16 at the most, right. is from, by his own admission. And so to me, that's the issue we, which we need to be attacking because that's no, that's no longer a biologic thing, mm-hmm. right? If you have a biologic urge, then you're, when your brain goes, this is a kid, I need to put some context around this mm-hmm. and think differently about this situation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we should be doing. We should be taking every captive thought to Christ. Right. And in, if, if you're continuing to look to the point that you are now sympathetic to these teenage boys, you know, I, I think you missed a beat there yeah. as, a, as, a, as a Christian man. Yeah. And to give that as illustration in a sermon is just so highly disturbing to every woman who is sitting there. And to, and to every band, actually. I don't think just because something is insulting to women doesn't mean it's only insulting to women. I think it's insulting to people who bear the image of God, mm-hmm. um, and that, which is why I don't think this is a women's issue. I think it's a human issue. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, if he had said, because she was a very attractive young woman, I can understand why these boys were looking at her. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that. It's the objectification. It's that she was nice. Like, yeah. that's mm-hmm. to me, that is crossing the line. It's not of how long did your eyes linger. Right. It's where did your mind go? Mm-hmm. And where did you let it go? And yeah. did you take control of that? Yeah. To now, me, that's what the issue is. Now, here's here's something else I brought up when I was writing that series a couple of years ago, is that what studies and peer-reviewed studies have shown is that lust decreases when treating women as whole people increases. Mm-hmm. So they've done studies, for instance, that show that both men and women tend to focus on women's body parts more than they do on men's body parts. So it's not only men that do that, by the way. Like, yeah. like our society programs even women to focus on individual parts of a woman's body, and whereas we see men as a whole person. Mm-hmm. But when you, um, you show those same pictures to people after telling them some background about this woman, they don't do that as much. Mm-hmm. Or if you show pictures of very, very good-looking women to men well, you also ask these men to write a love letter to their wives or to their girlfriends or whoever they're with, they don't notice the body parts as much or remember the body parts as much. So it's like when we can focus on our own relationships or when we see women as whole people, we are far less likely to lust. Mm -hmm. That is the way we cure lust. But that is not the way that every man's battle talks about it. Or as I said, I'm, I'm picking on every man's battle, but it is, it is only one book of many books that, that talk about 
um, men's sexual appetites in this way. The way that they often talk about it is in terms of quote unquote bouncing your eyes. Mm-hmm. That that is the only solution is not to look at a woman. Yeah, no, I, I also have a problem with that just technically. I know mm-hmm. this, and this is not the main issue of, of your podcast, okay. but I did say it in my article is that, you know, like I read Everman's Battle earlier, you know, like a, quite a while ago. I didn't reread it again prior to this, this whole podcast mm-hmm. and everything. But, um, but I read it when I was younger because I wanted to be a pure husband, Christian husband. I wanted to have a good thought life and that this was, this was the book, right? Right. But, but the problem with like saying, are you lusting? Are you lusting? Are you lusting? Are you lusting? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just terrible. Like, you know, like in my, in the, I said, like, if I say, don't think about a red barn. You know, yeah. like the first thing you do is you think about a red barn. If you're constantly right. monitoring yourself, am I doing this? Am I doing this? Am I doing this? That's not a practical way to beat it. No. It isn't. No, it absolutely isn't. Whereas training yourself to see women as whole people. Mm-hmm. That's what the much... studies show. Right. But l- let's think about this for a minute. If mm-hmm. you go into every interaction with a woman thinking, I have to bounce my eyes. Mm-hmm. I have to make sure I'm not looking at anything. That I'm not looking at, you know, at those, yeah. <laughs> right? Then, well, how, how about this instead? If she sees me looking at her breasts, she's gonna think, you know, thoughts about me that I don't want her to think because I don't, want, I don't think of her that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna look at her eyes, right? Because that way, she'll feel respected, right? But if you're always thinking to yourself, I have to bounce my eyes so that I don't lust. You're not thinking of her as a whole person. Mm-hmm. You're, Which is what I was trying to say as an alternative right. to what I was talking about. Yeah, and, and so their solution to the problem actually agrees with the sin, with the sinful way that we are seeing the sexes. And you can't solve a problem without changing the underlying view. Like their problem is that they are lusting, meaning they object, they are objectifying women. They are seeing them only as body parts. And their solution is to avoid. Don't look at those body parts. Don't look at those body parts. <laughs> and you can't solve something if you're not attacking the underlying foundation of the problem. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to solve this is to not see women as objects. There's a similar thing that goes on in youth group. I remember. Um, when my kids were in youth group or going to youth rallies, listening to so many arguments about why um, guys, you shouldn't pressure your girlfriends to have sex. You shouldn't have sex. And one of the main arguments was you are stealing from their future husband. You know, as if her sexuality does not belong to her. It only belongs to another man. And don't steal from her future husband. How about just simply treat her as an image bearer of God? Mm Mm-hmm. And you should not be taking something from her that isn't yours yeah. to take. You know, like, like, let's not reinforce this idea that women are merely objects. And I mean, I'm saying, I, I don't think that we should enforce an idea that men are objects either, by the way. It's just that this particular slant is more common in the church than the opposite <laughs> because we're told that all men lust. Um, I certainly think that women can have issues with lust too. And the answer there, again, is to treat men like they're whole people. Yeah, in, I, when I think about it, I don't... I mean, even back when I was in youth group, which was some time ago, <laughs> you know, I remember hearing... Both of us were the same age. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah well, we're I'm both a, getting old. A little bit older than you, but... <laughs> but I, I remember hearing that concept of you're stealing from her future husband kind of thing. But, you know, I don't remember hearing the, the girls told you're stealing from his future wife. You know, mm-hmm. do you think that message is out there too? I think it is too. Yeah, I think I okay. think that in general we're seeing sex as something we don't understand that we have value in and of ourselves, not just what we give to other people. Mm-hmm. And we are all image bearers of Christ, mm-hmm. and we need to be treating each other as image bearers of Christ, and we need to be treating each other as 
children of God that God created rather than as objects to use, mm-hmm. whether we are male or female. Yeah. So yeah, to, to jump into the last part of the article was the whole concept of um, how because of the way we teach lust, we teach that the, pro, that the solution is also that women not dress certain ways. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of how I, I kind of ended the, the point, which is this concept that, we're t- that women are told don't dress this way, don't dress that way, because otherwise men are going to lust after you. Right. Um, and so it be- women become responsible for the sin of men, which you know really bothers me. Yeah. Jesus didn't say, if your eye causes you to sin, make sure anything that could ever come into your, uh, your view is like under control and they know not to come into your view so that you don't sin. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's not what happens, right? Uh, it's, it's about taking responsibility for where, you know, what we do, what we think, what we feel. Um, and the, the particularly upsetting story that I told, um, because as a father it really angered me, uh, was how Kate, when she was still a very young teenager, mm-hmm. was kind of told by a youth leader, you got to be careful you know how you she present yourself even, she now. wasn't even a teenager yet yeah she was like 10 or 11 yeah because kate kate is is very has got a very curvy figure mm-hmm. and she developed it early mm-hmm. um are we gonna get in trouble for talking about that on this podcast with katie she's on youtube so people know what she looks like i don't okay. think it's a big deal uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um but uh you know she got pulled aside and said you have to be careful how you dress now she never dressed in a way that was inappropriate she was all. still a little girl like she was she was coming to church in little girl clothes at this point in time. yeah, ex- yeah. exactly and so to me like th- the issue th- that's what makes it that's what makes it such a big thing for me is because it's not about if you are trying to tempt people or trying to do anything it's purely about the way your body looks mm-hmm which you have nothing to do with, which you don't control. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to make girls feel like there's something about them intrinsically mm-hmm. that is going to make men sin, mm-hmm. I think it's such a horribly damaging message for young girls to hear. And I don't think they should have to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is a very harmful message too. Like If we wonder why women have low libido, a lot of it is because of growing up hearing this message. And again, this is I, I was amazed at how often the women's perspective was actually shown in the books and then they dismissed it. Like one book actually had a woman say, he makes me feel like a human toilet, like I'm just a receptacle because he says that he needs to use me in order to, not to lust. And they said, isn't that sad that she feels that way, but she needs to understand his struggle as opposed to maybe we're going about this all wrong. Mm -hmm. And I I did find that the the advice given to men and the perspective said to men in the book was actually in some ways much healthier than than that given to women. Because if you were a guy and you read the book solely uh, for the, in the parts that, that were addressed to men. I don't think the advice was helpful. I don't think the advice was going to help you cure lust, but at least it did lay the blame for lust at your feet. But while doing that, it would then have messages to women at the end of each chapter where the women were told literally, and I'm not making this up, that you are the methadone treatment for your husband's sex addiction. It even said you are the methadone vial for him. So you having sex will stop him from lusting. So how is that honoring women? How is that treating sex like a sacred thing between a married couple? 
That's a terrible thing to say to women. And even though it laid the blame for lust at men's feet, in the women's section, it told them that if they didn't have sex whenever he wanted it, he would lust and that they had to watch what they were wearing. So the message... So that other guys didn't lust. So, they, so yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I think this is what men often don't understand because sometimes the message that you guys are given in church and that you guys are given in books isn't necessarily terrible. I mean, it doesn't work. Like, we, like we've been telling you all the reasons why this message doesn't work here because it still objectifies women. You don't just bounce your eyes. You see women as whole people. Mm-hmm. But the corresponding message that is given to women is highly toxic and terrible. And so these women are saying, if that's what you guys are like, I never want to marry again. If you died, I would not remarry. I never want to let my girls out in public. You're treating me like I'm a human toilet. I feel awful. And the men are saying, well, that's just what guys are like. Mm-hmm. And and the women are saying, please, please, please tell me that's not what guys are like. And the men are saying, you're overreacting. That's what guys are like. Mm-hmm. As if as if if women just understood this, everything would be fine. There is no way to understand the fact that men treat you like objects. There is no way to be at peace with being treated like an object. Mm-hmm. And and so I just I, I think that's what I really want to say in this podcast is we need to treat. All of us, men and women as whole people. And guys, lust is not every man's battle. It just mm-hmm. isn't. I mean, they even admitted that in the book, that 10% of men don't struggle with lust at all, 10% seriously do, and the other 80% are in the middle. But it's not every man's battle. Scripture does not treat lust as any worse than any other sin or even as any more common than any other sin. Mm-hmm. And it's only in our society that we've elevated it like that. And I think we need to get back to the way scripture treats lust, which is a list of sins, all of which can be defeated with the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I mean, Paul himself said to greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Paul had platonic relationships. But please don't greet one another with a holy kiss during coronavirus. But like the, the <laughs> idea, oh the gosh. idea is a good one. You know, that Paul himself called women his fellow workers. Yes. Um, I believe the number is is 10 out of 31 people who are mentioned in Romans 16 were women. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that I think it was like 34%. I could have those numbers slightly off. It could be 11, it could be 35%, whatever. But, you know, a full 34% of people that Paul greeted in Romans 16 as his fellow workers were women. He saw women as partners in the gospel, and he treated them that way. And they, he had completely platonic relationships with them. Jesus well, talked with a Samaritan woman when that was never done, and he did not objectify her. Yeah, and, and that's how I end the article. Let's look, let's look at women the way that Jesus looks at women. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Jesus sees women as whole people, I mean, Jesus came to die for women as well as men. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's just see women through that, that lens instead of our culture's lens of objectification and all that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And when we see one another as whole people, we really will find that lust diminishes and that the struggle with lust diminishes because that's the way through. On our Start Your Engines podcast, I also like to feature some of our reader questions that come in that might be of more interest to the guys. And I do have two. They don't go with lust. So we are going to leave that topic behind. But here's an interesting one from a woman who says, 
I've never thought about this being a problem until reading your blog, but when my husband and I are intimate, I use my hands to stimulate my clitoris in order to achieve orgasm, usually during intercourse, sometimes during foreplay, and sometimes after he finishes. Is this wrong? Should my orgasms happen solely by my husband's touch? Okay, first of all, this kind of makes me uncomfortable that people never thought this was a problem until they read my blog. Like, what on my blog made people think this was a big problem? Oh, dear. Um, I did write a post on masturbation in marriage a while ago, and I made it quite clear that um, sometimes touching yourselves during foreplay is part of the whole process. There's nothing evil about touching yourself. The problem with masturbation in marriage, I think, comes when it's done in secret and it steals sexual attention and energy from your spouse. That's really the issue. I think this is not the issue. So uh, no, <laughs> there's nothing wrong. However, and this is why I wanted to put it in the guy's part. Um, I do think that if she is bring herself to orgasm after he finishes, I mean, it's not wrong, but it is kind of concerning. So guys, look, if you've had your orgasm and she has not, then you need to give her some attention. Okay. Like that's kind of your job. <laughs> um, she wasn't there so that you could get your jollies and then roll over. And I, I, I don't mean to be rude, but there's a lot of women who are really left hanging during sex. So please, a good rule of thumb is ladies first when it comes to sex. Like if, if she tends to reach orgasm, um, through stimulation rather than intercourse and the majority that is true for the majority of women, then I would bring her to climax before you bring yourself to climax because women can still enjoy sex after climax. For men, it's much more difficult. For women, it's not at all. So ladies first is a great rule. And don't leave her hanging afterwards so that she has to go finish herself off. That's just, that's just not really nice. Okay. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, she's saying that I often use my fingers during intercourse or foreplay to stimulate myself. Again, there's nothing wrong. It's not like this is a sin. It's not like the Bible says, Oh, you must not touch there. I would just simply say, guys, you know, if your wife has to touch herself to feel good, then maybe you haven't spent enough time learning how to make her feel good. So this is on you, okay? There's nothing wrong with her doing it. A lot of women really enjoy putting a finger there, putting pressure there during intercourse so that it feels even better. And sometimes her angle is better and that's that's fine. But in general, if she has to please herself because you're not doing it, mm, that, that is a little bit concerning to me. So it's not an issue of sin. It's just an issue of, how to be not a selfish lover. So let her teach you what feels good. And if she's afraid to tell you, you know, say set the timer for 10 minutes and you're just going to touch her and you're going to tell what works and what doesn't and become an expert at your wife because you really should. And that's part of what being a good lover is. 31 days to great sex. It's 31 really fun challenges in 31 days. Just read two to four pages a day together and do what it says. It's easy peasy. And don't worry, you don't have to have sex for 31 days straight. Instead, you'll learn to talk more openly about issues, flirt more, deal with baggage, figure out what feels good, try new things, spice things up, and so much more. It's the best 31 days you will ever have in your marriage. Why not start today? 
Here's another question. A woman writes, when I am PMSing, I always notify my husband if I'm a little on edge. I do my best to keep my outward actions and words in double check when I'm PMSing to ensure that I don't start ridiculous fights. However, lately when I notify him that I'm PMSing, he laughs and is intentionally and obnoxiously annoying. He's never usually annoying. He's quite the stick in the mud usually actually. He tells me that PMS is not real and that hormones don't rage and that I just use PMS to get away with being grumpy. So my question is this, is PMS real or am I the only woman who can't seem to keep my emotions level during the premenstrual time? And if it is real, how do I convince my husband so that we don't part ways when I'm PMSing and he is making fun of me? I can't handle it anymore. I told him to ask any woman and they will all tell him PMS is real, but his response is, well, of course they will. It's a fantastic excuse. Okay. I wanted to deal with this one in uh, our Start Your Engines podcast because I'm afraid that some other men need to hear this. <laughs> but yes, PMS is real. It is not a spiritual problem. It is not like a spiritual attack. It is not women just trying to get away with something. It is a hormonal change which makes our emotions far more um volatile than they would normally get and which means that we're more prone to crying and to being annoyed by things and that's actually not because you're being annoying but because all the things on our plate seem much heavier it is harder to carry stuff during pms so when we are pmsing we get panicky okay we feel like there's too much going on like we can't handle things and then when somebody does something which is annoying it's just like the straw that broke the camel's back and yes Every woman will tell you this. God created women with cycles, okay? There are times in the month where we're highly energetic, where our libidos go really, really high. And we actually talked about this on our podcast, on the last Start Your Engines podcast to explain hormones, um, women's hormones to men. Um, But yeah, there are times during the cycle when our hormones are like really going great and it gives us a burst of energy. And then there's times in our cycle when hormones change and when we get a lot more introverted, a lot more introspection, and a lot more quiet. And PMS is often one of those times. And so she is not making this up. And quite frankly, it really bothers me when men talk like this. And most men don't, okay? Most men have a lot of sympathy. Um, But when guys do say this, it does bother me. Because women, largely since the 1950s, when women started working more and and et cetera, et cetera, have had to pretend that our periods and hormones don't exist. And how would you like it if you had to worry about embarrassing leaks? Like if you had to worry that people would see that you had blood all over your penis or something, okay, every day, or, you know, during that time of the month, or with cramps, guys, they honestly are worse than the vast, vast majority of digestive upset that you've ever had. Okay, like serious cramps, like they they make you feel sick. For a lot of women, it causes them to faint. Um, It's some of the worst pain they've had. Okay, not everybody, but for some. And so this is real stuff. And yet when we get these cramps, we still have to go to school. We still have to go to work. We have to pretend that nothing is happening and keep smiling. Yes, hormone changes happen and they do make us more grumpy and they accelerate into our 40s and 50s. So if your wife is just in her 20s or 30s, just you wait, okay? (laughs) 
Um, it isn't easy. And for some women, it is worse than others. For some women, they can really benefit from major diet changes, from seeing physicians or naturopaths or somebody that can help them look at some of the things they're putting in their body so that they can level out a lot of these hormones because there are things that you can do not to eliminate PMS, but just to make it not as bad. But yes, it is a real thing. Uh, and you know, as a husband, <laughs> you are called to support your wife and to love her. And that means not making fun of her for something which she has no control over. That is completely uncalled for. It's callous and dare I say it, I think it's even sinful. It is not acting like Christ whatsoever. Because especially in this case, she is trying her best to minimize it and to not bother him with it. And instead of supporting her in that and being sympathetic, he's just making fun of her. And that needs to stop. So guys, you're not allowed to make fun of your wife for things like this, okay? If she is out of control, you can certainly help her talk to a doctor. You can start helping her change her diet and do some research yourself. But she's not doing this deliberately, okay? The vast majority of women will go through symptoms like this. This is normal part of being a woman. She is not broken. This is the way she was made. And I think it would be much better if we understood that and got on board with it than if we made fun of it because that doesn't help anybody. Thanks for joining us for the Start Your Engines podcast. And I just want to give a big shout out to the great guys out there because I know there are so many of you. And in fact, I, th I think the majority of guys are truly great. I've talked to so many of you who have said, I read Every Man's Battle and it totally wrecked me because I didn't want to be a pervert and it was portraying it like every guy that that was inevitable and I didn't want to believe that message. And I've talked to so many others who have said, you know, I struggle with lust the same that every guy does, but it's nothing like the way the book describes it. And that just made me feel like I was going to end up being a monster. And then, you know, even when it comes to PMS, I know so many guys who are just totally total gentlemen and who really help their wives. And then when it comes to our reader question about whether it's okay for her to bring herself to climax, I know a lot of guys who have just dedicated themselves to being great lovers. And I think that if you are listening to this podcast, you are more than likely in that category. So thank you. I hope that I can fill you in more on um, what women think and how you can help make your marriage awesome and also how we can dispel some of the harmful teachings that we sometimes hear because because I think we need to think more about how we can run after Jesus in our marriages and make our marriages look Jesus-centered. And that's my aim. That's what I'm trying to do. How can we make sex everything that God intended? And thanks for being on this journey with me. Thanks for listening in. And we'll be back here again at the end of April for the next Start Your Engines podcast.